It's Monday, October 25th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Progress has been slow, but it seems that Biden's Build Back Better plan is back on track with a vote expected this week. The spending plan has been pared down to about $2 trillion from the initial $3.5 trillion. In order to get there, paid leave for new parents has been reduced, expanded Medicare that would include dental and vision will now be a voucher, and tuition-free community college has been scrapped altogether. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for this, the Supreme Court taking on the Texas abortion law, and Dr. Fauci is in the GOP crosshairs again. Next, we could very soon see mass firings across the country as deadlines for vaccine mandates approach. The federal government, certain states, and private companies has faced opposition from employees as some are still resisting their shots for a variety of reasons. But what happens after that? Disruptions to some essential services could occur as rehiring and training may lag. Firefighters, police, and nursing staff are not so easily replaced. Pedro Gonzalez, associate editor at Chronicles Magazine, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. This is the legislative process. It takes time. We have differing opinions. We're going to get through this. There's going to be a bill. It's going to be significantly bigger than what we're doing now. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Let's check in with the status of Biden's Build Back Better plan. Uh, Right now, he's uh, been very much involved in the last few days working to get a deal done. Uh, He's going to be hosting Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin Sunday uh, in Delaware. The price tag we started off with was $3.5 trillion. It's been brought down to about $2 trillion. And they say that they want, want to have a vote this week. They're they're getting close. It feels that they are nearing the end of this process. Speaker Pelosi said on Sunday that she was hoping to have a vote this week. That may be still a little ambitious, although they had put a an October 31st deadline in place whenever they bumped the vote the last time. So there might be some type of votes on something. Uh, we saw House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer also say on Sunday that they plan uh, to do that and vote on the infrastructure bill that has stalled. But um, they've shrunken it down. They appear to be in the final throes of these negotiations. And it does look like they, they could be getting to the finish line. More on the actual bill, because, you know, President Biden has always said he'd be willing to bargain, cut a deal. Um, As we mentioned, it's been brought down to about two trillion dollars. And, you know, there's a lot at stake here, delivering on the promises that Biden made, the competency of the administration that we've talked about before. And also, you know, he wants to make these big transformative things, this big policy. And so let's talk about what's been dropped out of this. There's been a, a number of things, paid leave. Medicare expansion, tuition-free community college, all that stuff's been kind of pared down or dropped completely. That's right. There's some things that appear to have come out. Um, And let's preface this by saying we don't have a bill. We don't have a deal. There's something in writing. So um, things can come out and come back in. But it looks like they've taken out free community college. There was uh, a proposal to provide everyone with two years of free community college. That's gone. Um, There was an effort to expand the child tax credit. Um, That has been shrunken. It's only going to be for one year. So a smaller extension than they had hoped for. Um, And then a Medicare 
Medicare expansion, helping people who are on Medicare get dental and vision coverage, which they don't currently have. That looks like now instead there's going to be an $800 voucher that those recipients would be able to get in order to get dental and and vision coverage um, of some sort. So it's gotten smaller. Um, It's not what it was before. And the the revenue piece is also not what it was before. So uh, the president had proposed raising taxes on corporations and on the nation's most wealthy, well, most wealthy. Now they're talking about um, sort of changing the way they do that, where they wouldn't increase the rates, but they would impose um, some new taxes on some of the the most wealthy in the country. Yeah, I know uh, Senator Kristen Sinema is a big holdout on that part of the plan right there. And Joe Manchin also, who's a big figure in all this, uh, was opposed to some clean energy program that was supposed to be started. Uh, I think that was scrapped altogether as well, because uh, Joe Manchin wasn't on board there. So yeah, a lot still yet to be done, but Let's talk about the Supreme Court now. Uh, The Texas abortion law that was just passed recently uh, will be heard by the Supreme Court. They said that they're going to let the law stand for now, but I think on November 1st, they're going to hear oral arguments. But that still means that the law will be in place for several months until they reach a decision. That's right. So it is highly unusual to have the court move this quickly, Um, you know, just a matter of days between granting the hearing and it actually being held. Normally, there are weeks and months between such uh, parts of the process. But you're right, it still could take them weeks and months to come to a decision. Uh, The court has no sort of imposed deadlines. They don't have to decide within days or weeks. They could take a year if they wanted to. Um, so that will leave the law in place while that decision is happening. But we do see um, a sense from the court that they want to move quickly, that they yeah. they understand that this is not something that um, doesn't have repercussions while, while it remains in place. Yeah. And this one's interesting only because, uh, you know, the Biden administration opposed it as well. But since it's not like the state enforcing it and any person that can bring up a lawsuit, uh, you know, with this abortion law, you know, they they have to decide also if, uh, you know, if that was a thing. The On December 1st, they're actually already scheduled to hear the Mississippi abortion law. That's more of a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. So a lot of, uh, of the, you know, the abortion issue uh, coming up very soon. That's right. And you're right. This uh, Texas law is really a novel way to do this. It's not the state it's allowing just anyone to sue someone, basically, if they find out that they have been um, providing or helping to provide abortions. And so um, it's a novel law. And I think that we're going to see not just questions about whether the court could um, overturn Roe v. Wade, something that you know is possible, um, but also how they view this sort of unusual legal um, structure. And really, what else could it be used to try to do to circumvent uh, rules in place that prevent states from doing things. Let's talk about Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's in the crosshairs of the GOP again. Um, this time they're calling for an investigation. They're calling for him to resign. This is after uh, there was a letter sent to uh, a member of Congress about uh, the uh, from the National Institutes of Health, basically admitting to the so-called gain-of-function research, basically where they take you know viruses, they'll um, modify them so they can uh, study how they become more easily transmissible. Uh, I guess Dr. Fauci had in the past had said, no, we're not doing any of this kind of stuff. And the letter from the NIH basically said that there was a limited experiment in this. So it's caused the whole uproar now with Dr. Fauci. 
I mean, really, when you look at what's happening here, uh, the right and really allies of President Trump are still trying to wage the battle uh, that they think that he was not the one who messed up our response to COVID from the start and that it was Fauci and some of the other public health officials that were part of the government at the time. Um, And we've sort of ended up down this rabbit hole of different accusations that they've accused him of. Um, And this is it again. I mean, I I think it's... It's clear that um, this whatever happened with this gain of function, whatever role the U.S. played in researching gain of function uh, wasn't sort of a a factor in how we responded to the virus, wherever it came from, however it showed up here uh, once it did. And except for really it's become this political fight uh, that keeps unfolding because uh, he's sort of become the target uh, of the of the of the right wing. Finally, uh, we saw President Obama stumping for Terry McAuliffe in Virginia. Uh, We talked about this last week, how, you know, it's gearing up to be a pretty big race. I think uh, the Republican challenger, uh, Glenn Youngkin, has basically pulled in a tie now. So uh, President Obama going out there, uh, trying to get everybody riled up to to get out there and vote uh, was kind of big. We'll see how how much. He makes an impact. But, you know, as we talked about before, um, education is a big issue. President Obama said, you know, this race is really, really going to define the direction for the country. That's right. I mean, this is a, a race that's often considered a bellwether. Uh, Virginia votes the odd year. So the year after we elect a president, they elect their new governor. Um, it's got a state that has a history of voting not for the party that controls the White House, but the opposite. But it also is a state that's trended much more blue over the last decade. Uh, the growth in the Washington, D.C. suburbs uh, have made it a much more liberal state than it was before. Um, but I think that there's a lot going on here. I think that there's... Um, been a decision by the McAuliffe campaign to run a campaign that seems solely focused on tying Yunkin uh, to Donald Trump and not really visionary or laying out his own message. Uh, it feels very Hillary Clinton 2016 here <laughs> in Virginia, um, but his folks say that that's what's moving the needle. And it is now a state with more Democrats than Republicans. So a lot of it's just trying to get Democrats to show up. And if they can, then they'll win. Uh, but I think it's clear the enthusiasm and the momentum is on Yunkin side. So probably going to come down to the wire uh, when, when that election happens. And because of that, we've seen McAuliffe calling in all his help. He had Obama here. President Biden will be here on Tuesday. Um, he's called Stacey Abrams, the vice president, Harris, uh, as many people as he can to try to right. boost that Democratic enthusiasm. Well, as I mentioned, the race is very tight now. So we'll see how that turns out. Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington digital editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really hope that the men and women of the Chicago Police Department, who have been fed a lot of stuff, that's the most polite and appropriate word I can use um, in this forum, are not going to ruin their careers over going to a website and saying yes or no. Joining us now is Pedro Gonzalez, associate editor at Chronicles Magazine. Thanks for joining us, Pedro. Happy to be here. Let's talk about uh, what's going on with, you know, all these vaccination mandates that are coming down. The deadlines are either here or approaching very soon. One of the things we've been curious about is what's going to happen when, you know, all the people that do refuse to get their vaccinations, you know, what's going to happen? Are they going to be fired? Are we going to see mass firings? And 
when we talk about uh, workers at the state level, federal level, you know, services uh, that we rely on, like uh, firefighters and police and even in hospitals, what effects will these firings have on uh, these essential services that we need? So, Pedro, you were looking into this. You were talking to a lot of people uh, that are in this position of possibly losing their jobs. What are we seeing out there? Nothing good. And I think it's important to note that all of this is unprecedented in the sense that we are purging people that we would otherwise consider essential frontline workers, nurses, doctors, firefighters, paramedics, military officers, police officers. These are all people that are not easy to, one, recruit, two, train, and in general replace right. and yet we seem pretty ready to to fire a lot of them and in upstate new york for example so many nurses resigned over the vaccine mandates that this hospital had to stop delivering children kaiser permanente placed more than 2000 employees nationwide on unpaid leave other hospitals have done very similar things mass firings or the the euphemism is unpaid leave because what follows next is usually complete termination. My experience has been that the, for the most part, firefighters, police officers, and people in the military are really reluctant to talk about this. Not because they don't want to talk about it, but because they're afraid of their supervisors, of their city governments, or of their of their. In the case of the military, it's their it's their senior leadership. But in the case of firefighters and law enforcement, oddly enough, it's their unions as well. In other words, the groups that are supposed to advocate on, on their behalf are totally against them. And they're working with their superiors and local governments to basically stifle dissent. And in, again, in many cases, it was difficult to just get people to talk to me and to include their information in the article, I had to make sure that it couldn't come back to them. That That is how afraid police officers and people in the military are of, of their own leadership right now, yeah. just for asking uh, for religious exemptions that are denied. And this is the other feature of this story that has really been underreported is that it doesn't seem to be the case that in these worlds of law enforcement and military, the leadership structures are handling applications for religious exemptions in good faith. In fact, in, in some in some instances, uh, people are told ahead of time, don't even bother filing because we're not you're not going to get it right. and we're not going to give it to you. You know, we've covered uh, a lot of this stuff on the podcast before and employers, obviously the federal government, they all have very wide latitude when it comes to accepting or rejecting these religious exemptions and the same thing with mandating the vaccine. So I, I know that a lot of these people are just kind of put in a difficult position I know there's a lot of lawsuits out there as well. Who knows how those will bear out, but they're all in very tough positions. And as you mentioned, we're already seeing some of those firings. And you did mention, right, the, the unpaid leave, right? That's the next step is that termination. So that's going to be all coming down the line. You did speak to a number of firefighters, which I thought was interesting, talking about how you know, some of them are given some accommodations maybe, but they're put on like segregated rigs. So they're not right. even there to be able to completely yeah. fulfill their duty, let's say, right? They're uh, right. just giving them, you know, uh, other assignments, things that they're not necessarily there to be doing. 
Yeah. So in Beverly Hills, a firefighter I spoke to named Josh Satley told me that even if you're lucky enough to get an exemption and you comply with the mandates like wearing a mask at work and testing regularly because you're unvaccinated, you are put on a rig that is not allowed to respond to medical emergencies, only fire calls. And so what does that mean? It means that there are parts of the city that will go uncovered by medics because you only have paramedics are in short demand. Even before the pandemic, right. there were nationwide shortages of firefighters, medics, and cops of these first responders. And so again, this is not someone that you can just replace in the, in a matter of a few weeks. The, the, the courses for becoming a paramedic, that kind of thing takes a while. Same with, same with police. And so that's happening now. Of course, cities are not going to talk about this, and I think it's going to be suppressed until you, you just can't suppress it anymore. But I was told by one police officer that he called an ambulance for a medical emergency, and it took two hours for the ambulance to arrive. And this is in a city where you're having this this issue now where they're starting to kind of separate people based on whether or not they're vaccinated, unvaccinated. I mean, you're, you're already starting to see the effects of this. And for the people that don't think that this affects them, and maybe they're secretly glad that someone who, you know, who refused to get vaccinated is going to get fired, well, it's going to affect you when you call the police or when you call uh, an ambulance, maybe, right. Dep- depending on how many people are still working in your city. Totally. And, and, that's, uh, and that's the next yeah. point, right? What happens when people are fired? To your point earlier, you just can't hire somebody and... Uh, they're going to start on the job, you know, in a week or so. It takes time right. for all that. The training is intensive, right? I think uh, you mentioned in, in one of the cases, police officers and a full-fledged independent police officer until they're two years on the job. So there's a lot of interesting yeah. things like that where there could be delays uh, in these essential services. And you're right. I mean, we're probably not going to hear about it until it, it reaches a fever pitch and we're really seeing some disruptions in those services. Yeah, in San Francisco... Funny because the firefighters and the police I spoke to said that if the city eventually uh, decides to accommodate people for exemptions, it's not going to be because of firefighters, cops and medics. It's going to be because of the municipal transportation agency, because of all the different municipal departments, the one department that has the most people appealing for exemptions is the department that oversees the San Francisco region's massive transit system. It's something like 11 percent of their workforce is is asking for exemptions and if san francisco actually goes through with this and fires these people or puts them on unpaid leave you're looking at massive service disruptions for buses and trains that is what is ironically that's what's upsetting people in san francisco and what is maybe going to be the thing that saves all the other departments from uh these these purges um but this is going to affect everyone i i think so but we're not really we're not really talking about this. In many cases, we're being really callous towards these people. But a, a point that I make in my article, and a point that all of these people made to me was, I worked through the the surge and to the pandemic before vaccines were even available. Like firefighters, cops were telling me, like I kept going to work even, and if we got sick, we took the the allotted time off, and then we came back to work and we kept doing our jobs. Right. And now because we're asking in good faith for religious exemptions, we're being fired. I mean, the, I can't imagine being in that position, especially if you're like a veteran that's been doing this for you know 20 years or whatever, and you, you live through this stuff and now you're just getting a pink slip. 
and the other side of these things too, uh, the big push right now is also people that have had COVID, you know, that should count for something too. Maybe I don't want to be vaccinated, but I have that natural immunity. So, you know, just as we mentioned, a lot of these deadlines have come or will be coming very soon in various states and the military. We'll have to see how it all plays out. Pedro Gonzalez, associate editor at Chronicles Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>